Tanya and Steve. It's a great song. Oh, we've come to the main message portion of our service now. So as we get out our Bibles and get ready, we'll uh, start with prayer. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of your written word and uh, help us to honor it, respect it, and learn from it. And Lord, we just pray that you change us today as uh, we study your word, help us to learn what we need to know and uh, bring it right to our hearts. Make it, us, make it a part of us. So we pray this now and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, back in the 1950s, I'm old enough to remember that time when I was young, they came out with a really great invention. Uh, television had become so popular and I spent many hours sitting in front of the TV watching my favorite shows. But somebody came up with the idea of making what they call a TV dinner. You remember that? I think it was Swanson was the company that started it. And it was really neat because you stick this thing in the freezer and uh, keep it for as long as you want. And then when you're ready to eat, you pop it into the oven. Of course, they didn't have microwaves back in those days. But uh, you cooked your meal and you had it in a real nice tray. So you can sit in front of the TV with your little TV tray uh, and eat. And you remember the, the neat thing about those dinners was everything was divided up into little compartments in your tray. You know, you had one little section for your chicken, you had one little section for your mashed potatoes, one little section for the peas, one little section for the dessert. It was really nice and it was a great invention, I thought. The food probably wasn't all that great, but uh, it, was, it was the thought. And you know, it was especially a great invention for people who are known as brumo, Brumotactilophobists, <laughs> and that is people who have the fear of their food touching the other food. Have you ever known anybody like that? When you give them a plate of food, everything has to be separate. You know, the mashed potatoes can't get into the vegetables, or you know, the gravy can't touch anything. It all has to be separate. So some people have a fear about that, but you know, it makes me think that sometimes, kind of like that TV dinner, we separate our lives into different portions and into different segments that are separated. You know, you've got this section for your family, you've got this section for your job, you've got this section for your hobby, and, and whatever else you watch for TV, certainly. But over here in a little section in the corner is your section for God. And you know, that's your Sunday morning, 10.30 to, to 12 o'clock section where you come and worship God, and you've got that little portion of time for him set aside. There was another invention that came out in the 50s, and you probably remember it because it's still around today. It was called chicken pot pie. And that was another uh, neat thing where you took it out of the freezer and popped it into the uh, oven and cooked it up, and that was a totally different setup because it was no longer a tray with different compartments in it. It was a pie and everything was in the pie. You cut into that pie and in there was your chicken, in there were your peas and your beans and carrots and the gravy that kind of held it all together. I think that when we look at our lives, our lives really are not supposed to be like TV dinners with everything segmented, it's more like the chicken pot pie, where everything is kind of thrown together. 
It's nearly impossible to separate your life into different segments, just like it's impossible to separate all the aspects of a chicken pot pie, because it all kind of blends together, and it's got this gravy kind of holding it all together in the pie crust. You know, God's presence in our life is not limited to an hour and a half on Sunday. As Christians and as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, God cares about every aspect of our lives. He's not limited to just an hour and a half on Sundays. God wants to be limited, or God wants to be involved, rather, in your finances. He wants to be involved in the challenges that you face at work. He wants to be involved with your struggles with sin. He wants to be involved in every aspect of your life. He's kind of like, if you will, that gravy in the pot pie, kind of touching everything and involved in everything. And life works best when you stop making God an add-on to your life in his own little compartment, and you start making him a part of your whole life, involved in every aspect he permeates every aspect of your life. That's what God wants his relationship with you to be. Now, how do you view God in your life? Do you really accept him as being there? And do you seek him to be involved in every aspect of your life, in the smallest detail of your life? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17. And I think if we don't look at him that way, we have to start looking at him that way. If we're truly going to enjoy our personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, and if we're going to allow him to do everything he wants to do in our lives, it's for our good. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17, we read this verse here where Paul, in the middle of the thought, he says in verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses the knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So, you know, we talk a lot about a personal relationship with God. You know, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and I'm so thankful to my parents for giving me a good upbringing. But, you know, throughout my time in the Catholic Church, there was a lot of liturgy. There was the Mass, and there was this, there was that. But I really didn't feel that I was developing a close, personal relationship with him, with the Lord. I am now, and, you know, I just rejoice in that reality. But God has made available to us his presence. In other words, the title of this, of this sermon is God's Permanent Dwelling Place. And where is God's permanent dwelling place? Now, in the Old Testament, the Israelites went from the tabernacle in the wilderness. God dwelt there. You know, if they wanted to come before God, they had to come to the tabernacle. And remember, there was a, a pillar of cloud that they followed and a light at night. 
That was God's presence. But then when they came into the promised land and entered into Israel, eventually the temple was built in Jerusalem. So if you wanted to come to worship God, you had to come to the temple in Jerusalem. But things have changed. God does not dwell in buildings anymore. The temple doesn't exist anymore. God now dwells in you. And he's dwelling there permanently and powerfully. And I think sometimes we're oblivious to that reality, and we certainly don't take advantage of God being in us the way God wants us to. I'd like to read a couple paragraphs to you here. Certainly life can seem overwhelming at times, but we need to remember that although we experience momentary afflictions, our overwhelming victory in Christ is permanent and eternal. Let me read that again. Our overwhelming victory in Christ is permanent and eternal. It's during those times when the shifting tides of life threaten to unnerve us or to displace our footing that we need to recognize the permanent stability of our true foundation, Jesus Christ. He is our strong tower, shelter, and our dwelling place. We can count on that. But even more important is the fact that he has chosen to make our hearts his permanent dwelling place. The Apostle Paul emphatically declares this truth here in Ephesians 3, verse 17. In the scripture that we just uh, read, that word dwell, where God dwells in us, is a Greek word, a combination of words. Uh, I won't attempt to, to read the Greek words, but... One of the words, oikos, could also be used in a larger sense to describe a family, not just a dwelling place, but a family, a social unit, such as the house of David, or it could depict a local community. In the New Testament, the primary meaning of the word oikos, translated here as dwelling, is a house or location where an individual, entity, family, or community permanently dwells. So when it says in... uh, Ephesians 3, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That is a permanent dwelling place. You know, when God came to dwell in us, when we received Jesus Christ as our Savior and then we're baptized, it's not a dwelling where he comes and goes. You know, sometimes we think, well, when we commit a sin... Well, God has to depart from us. He's go, he goes away someplace. And, you know, maybe over time, uh, when we're repentant enough and we're good enough, he's, he's, he'll find his way to come back. No, he never departs. He is in us permanently. This goes on to say, isn't that comforting to know? Christ's dwelling is permanently fixed within our hearts, and he has no intention of ever leaving us or abandoning us for another place of residence. That means he knows what we face every day, and he faces it with us. It is impossible for us to live without Jesus' attention to every detail in our lives because he perpetually dwells inside us in the person of the Holy Spirit. This also means there is no place to run or hide from Christ because he literally goes where we go and is always present wherever we are. We are his permanent earthly residence, not merely a stop on his way to somewhere else. Christ himself is in every challenge we face, 
so we can rest assured that God is always with us and in us. He is always present to sustain us, strengthen us, and guide us through this life. He never leaves or forsakes us. We are his permanent dwelling place. Amen. Isn't that encouraging? Amen. Isn't that inspiring to know? And we would think, how can God put up with us? You know, even when I sin, he is still with us. It doesn't lessen him in any way when we sin. In fact, his dwelling in us is in the process of making us better. It's transforming us into the very likeness of Jesus Christ himself. But he wants us to go through this life with that reality constantly in mind. That we're not on our own. We never end up in God's doghouse someplace because we've been bad. But we're forgiven. Now, yeah, with that reality, we should participate in God's changing us for the better. We need to say no to sin, but at least we have the confidence of, and the assurance of knowing that we're forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Psalm 37. Let's read what David had to say about this. He said something very similar because he felt that sense of God's dwelling in him and being with him on a permanent basis. Psalm 37, beginning in verse 3. Psalm 37, beginning in verse 3. He tells us to do three things here. He says, first of all, trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord. Dwell in the land and enjoy his past, safe pasture. The second thing he tells us to do is delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And then thirdly, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. So do we take advantage of God's presence in us? You know, when we go to work and maybe interact with other people, and maybe a lot of them are non-Christians, we can get carried away in their mindset, and we can kind of get dragged down into their level of thinking and acting. And before you know it, we kind of forget the fact that, wait a minute, who am I? I'm a child of God through Jesus Christ, and God himself is dwelling in me. Now, that doesn't make us go around with a haughty attitude and a judgmental attitude and a self-righteous attitude. No, we go to work and kind of deal with those things that we face on a daily basis with the assurance of knowing that God is in us. And if we seek his help, he's going to give us the right words to say and the right things to do to represent him wherever he, we may be, at work, at school, uh, at some function in the neighborhood. We need to put our trust in him. So we need to talk to him on a daily basis and talk about some of the situations we're going to face that day and ask his help to give us the right words, to have the right attitude no matter what we're dealing with. So commit your way to the Lord. And that's something you do regularly. You talk to God about it. You talk to God about your life and the difficulties you're, you're dealing with. Maybe it's with your mate and you know there's something coming between the two of you or there's upset or there's anger or there there's a failure to forgive uh whatever the case may be god is there to help and guide you through that situation to the point that things can be made right 
Like I said, you're catching grief at work for whatever reason. You're fearful about something. You're fearful about losing your job. You're fearful about getting replaced. You're fearful about not being able to support your family. Some of us as Christians sometimes choose to just keep that on our own shoulders and struggle with that on our own. And we have, I don't want to call God a resource, but we have this available to us, God in us. And God says, make use of it. Develop that relationship with me. Talk to me. Let me know what's in your heart. Let me know what your cares and your fears are. I'm there to strengthen you and to help you along the way. He's not promising that he's going to remove every trial, but he promises that he will be there with us and in us through any trial that we face. Let's turn to the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 5. And verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Peter tells us something very similar. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God wants what's best for you. He has your best interest at heart. So what are you going to do with the trials you're facing on a daily basis? You're going to, you're going to just say to yourself, well, somehow I'll struggle through and, and, and hopefully I'll do the right thing or say the right thing. No, cast all your anxieties on him on a regular basis, on a daily basis, because he cares for you. We have God in us, but in so many cases we don't make use of him. I hate to, to say that say it in that way, we hate to seek his help. He's right at hand. He's not far away. God's not off on some, some third heaven. He's here with us and in us. God says, I'm here for you. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is seek me. So will you seek God's help or are you just determined to try to work it out yourself? Because usually when we try to work it out ourselves, we mess it up. It gets even worse, okay? So that's the advice that we're given. God's permanent dwelling place is in us. He's there and available for us. Are we making use of it? Is that relationship dwelling, uh, is it developing, is it growing? So that as time goes by, we're thinking more the way God thinks about different situations. Let's turn now to Matthew chapter 11. This is something that Jesus Christ himself encouraged us to do. But you know, there are some people, even some Christians, who are just determined to carry their own loads and somehow tough it out and, uh, you know, be kind of a martyr and uh, somehow deal it because they're, they don't feel comfortable asking for help. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 11, verse 28, he encourages us, come to me, I'm here, I'm not far away, I'm right here. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
I don't know about you, but I feel weary and burdened quite often. And am I just going to try to handle it myself? Maybe I just need to take more vitamins or <laughs> maybe I need to do something, some sort of pill of some kind that's going to make me feel better. Jesus encourages us to bring it to him, no matter what it is, no matter how small it is. You know, he's dwelling in us and he wants to help us. He wants to guide and direct us in the right way. But we need to make that decision on what to do. Yeah, I want to find rest, rest in the Lord. Now, let me tell you something about my past, and some of you share the same past. In our denomination, years and years ago, we thought that God wanted us to do the same things that the Israelites were doing. Uh, one of the things that we did was to keep a seventh-day Sabbath. So as the Jews kept the Sabbath from Friday sunset to Saturday sunset, we were encouraged as a denomination to do that. We were expected to do that. And I did it. My wife did it. Our lives were different in that, that respect because uh, come Friday sunset, we all stopped our labor. We weren't participating in a whole bunch of stuff in the community or in the neighborhood. Uh, we would even turn off the TV when the sun went down on Friday because we felt that's what God wanted us to do. He wanted us to rest. And that's what the Israelites were told to do. But you know what? For the many years that I did that, you know, the sun would be going down. We'd bring the kids in for playing outside and say, okay, it's, it's the Sabbath day. It's, it's the day to rest, so come on in. We're going to stop doing all those other things and just slow down and, and rest because that's what God wants me to do. In the back of my mind, I always thought, you know, there's got to be something more to this. Does God just require us because somehow we're different that we need to just slow down and stop working for 24 hours and that's going to help us? Well, we would take that time and try to get close to God, maybe pray and certainly refrain from work and, and, and all that sort of th stuff. But in the back of my mind, I thought, there's got to be something more to this. I, I don't think I'm getting it all. I'm not working. You know, I'm, I'm keeping the Sabbath, but I think that there's more. Well, I'm telling you, what we're talking about right here is the meaning of the Sabbath day that we used to keep physically for 24 hours. This relationship with God through Jesus Christ, this matter of God dwelling in us, we're in relation with him, we're seeking his help, we're seeking his strength on a regular basis, asking his direction, asking his inspiration. This is what the Sabbath pictured for all of those centuries and millennia with the Jews. But even coming down into our early history as a church, keeping the seventh day Sabbath, this is what this lifestyle that we have now with God dwelling in us, well, we don't have to have fears. We don't have to have worries. We come to God with all of our concerns and all of our issues and ask his help. This is what the Sabbath pictured. And we're living out now the fulfillment of that. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. This is what the, the author of Hebrews is talking about when he says that there remains a Sabbath or a keeping of, of a Sabbath. It's talking about a, a life of rest 
not just a 24-hour period of time from sunset to sunset, but an ongoing lifestyle all the time. Okay, it says in Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 1, he talks about the Israelites. Remember, they came out of Egypt at the time of the Exodus, and they were on their way to the Promised Land, which was going to be kind of like a rest for them. They were coming out of slavery and coming out of, uh, you know, all the suffering and, and servitude that they had in Egypt, and God was bringing them to a rest, the Promised Land. He says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, the Israelites. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he said, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. He's talking about New Testament times now, our day. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, you know, if that physical rest of entering uh, the promised land was all God was talking about when he talked about rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest, this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. So in other words, when God was working with ancient Israel, there was a seventh day that they were to keep. He forced them to rest on the seventh day. But that was picturing something that was going to happen in the future. Something that we're experiencing and living right now a lifetime of rest with God through Jesus Christ. In other words, instead of working to, to fix our problems, instead of working to somehow quell our fears, Jesus says, bring that all to me and you'll find rest. My yoke is easy. My, my work is light, okay? Just as the Old Testament sacrifices of all the animals that were killed that pictured what Jesus would eventually do when he died on the cross. All that blood that was shed by animals, it was kind of like a forerunner of what Jesus would eventually do on the cross. So there's no need for sacrificing animals anymore. Jesus fulfilled that. We looked at Jesus' death, we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. So in the same way, we don't have to keep a seventh-day Sabbath anymore because the Sabbath for us is our entire lives. Because it's a relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. 
where we don't have to work out our own salvation. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. And furthermore, whatever trial, whatever persecution we face, whatever difficulty we have in this life, and God, God says there still will be those things to deal with, instead of working on our own to try to make things right and try to find some sort of peace in our life, we're called now to come to God with those things. He is our Sabbath rest. And Sabbath rest is no longer a 24-hour period of time from Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. It's a lifestyle that we live. Every day for us is a Sabbath rest. Why? Because we're in relationship with God who's giving us rest. Amen. Our salvation is guaranteed through the blood of Jesus Christ, not by our own works. So do you get that? All those years that we kept the seventh-day Sabbath and we kept it diligently, it was picturing something that was going to happen in the future. In the New Testament times, under the terms of the New Testament, God dwelling in us, God giving us peace and rest because we're relying on him for everything. Amen. So I'm glad that I learned that. Rest is no longer a 24-hour period of time. Rest is a life journey with God dwelling in us. So the Sabbath, does the Sabbath still exist? Yeah, but not in the way that it was looked at in the Old Testament. Do sacrifices still exist? Yes, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, not the lambs and the goats and the bulls that were sacrificed in the Old Testament. Those were all pictures of what was to come. They were shadows of the reality that was to come. So if somebody says to me, well, do you keep the Sabbath? I sure do. I live the Sabbath. It doesn't start Friday at sunset and end Saturday at sunset. It's my whole life. It's a life of reliance on God. It's a life of coming to him for strength, for hope, for peace. And he provides those things for us because we're living in union with him. We're living in close relationship with him. That's the Sabbath that still remains. Okay, that's what he's talking about here. He says in verse 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So yeah, God knows us. God is with us on a perpetual basis. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. You can't hide anything from God. He's dwelling in you. How is that possible to hide something from him? You know, sometimes when we're tempted to sin, we, we want to go someplace we think God's not there. That's ludicrous. He's there. Not only is he there, but he's in us. But you know what? He still loves us and he forgives us because that sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, is that big and that powerful. Amen. And you know what? When you think about that, <laughs> how can God still love me? How is it possible, God? Well, we just read in our Bible study the other week, God is love. God is love. So he's in the process of changing you, of transforming you. Get on, jump on board with that. Don't drag your feet in the dirt. He's bringing you along toward perfection. We're not going to reach it in this life, but we've all made a lot of progress and we continue to make progress. 
So have a repentant attitude for your sins and constantly seek God. I'll turn to one more passage back here in Psalm 139. Don't ever think that God ever lets go of you or God goes off to more important things at any particular time or maybe because of your sins you think God may have forsaken you. He hasn't. That's, that's God, that's Satan whispering in your ear when you think thoughts like that. God never forsakes you. David here was kind of thinking about God and this relationship he had with him. And we, we could say these same words. Psalm 139, verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Again, the good and the bad. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say before I say it, because you know the way I think. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Well, you can't go anywhere because God's permanently dwelling in you as a Christian. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So imagine trying to run away from somebody who permanently dwells in you. It's impossible. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Then he says in verse 13, for you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place in my mother's womb. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Yeah, God even knows not only the day you were born, but he knows the day you're going to die. He knows it already. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. He never forsakes us. His permanent dwelling place is in us. And it's going to be that way for all eternity. So with that in mind, and considering the fact that even when we mess up in sin, he doesn't depart, he's still there. I don't want to say he's giving us another chance, but he's, you know, he wants us to recognize our sin, repent of it with the assurance that we're already forgiven through the, the blood of Jesus Christ. But he's always for us. And we might say, well, I think God spends more time with me uh, because of all the difficulties that I have. Yeah, maybe that's the case. So allow him to bring you along. Repent of the sins. You know, try to change. Say no to sin as he tells us to. 
But what a God we have. Can you imagine that? He has known us intimately from the time before we were even born. He knew the day we would be born. He knows the day that we're going to die. And still his love endures for us. So where is God's permanent dwelling place? If you're a believer, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he has come to dwell in you with no intention of departing. No intention. So take advantage of that God who dwells in you. Don't try to run away from him. Don't try to ignore him. Talk to him on a regular basis. Seek his direction and guidance in everything you do. And when you're faced with trouble, when you're faced with difficulty, ask him, Lord, what do I do now? How do I handle this? This problem seems to be more than I can bear. But I'm going to bring it to you. Because you have promised me. My hope is in you, Lord. And I know that you're going to help. You're not going to wave a magic wand and solve all my problems. But you're going to help me to grow in wisdom. You're going to help me to grow in the, in the spirit. So let's take advantage of what God offers us. And what can you say about a God who promises never to forsake us, never to leave us, in spite of all the difficulties we have and the sins we might still struggle with? All glory, honor, and praise goes to him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you have made your permanent dwelling place in us. We feel so... We don't deserve it. We feel so insignificant, but Lord, that's the kind of God you are. You have chosen to dwell in us through the Spirit, and uh, we just pray that we can take more advantage of that, that we want to develop our relationship with you, that we talk to you on a daily basis, that we read your word, that we take advantage of every opportunity we have to come and praise you as a church group. Lord, we love you so much, and thank you. Thank you for all that you've given us, and we know that this relationship we have with you is going to last for all eternity, and we look forward to that. But help us to take advantage of it here and now. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.